Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Sam Jerfe. I'm the associate pastor here, and I'd like to welcome you all to the International Protestant Church of Zurich. It's great to see you all. Uh, our lead pastor, Doug Brower, is, uh, he'll be back this week. And so uh, for this week, as I mentioned, uh, we have a couple of guests last week and this week, and many of you will recognize. Uh, Jeff Powell is here visiting uh, with us. He was here four years ago as an interim before Doug arrived. Uh, he and his wife, Alba, are here with us this morning. So uh, it is a treat to have them. And as we all know, we are part of this great international congregation, uh, people from all over the world. And, and so if you are here for the first time or here back like Jeff and Alba for the first time in a long time, uh, we would invite you to stand and introduce yourselves, um, that you would not only, um, we have a welcome pack for you, but also an usher will come around and you can say your name and where you're from so that we can greet you and, and, and know who you are as well. So if that's you and if you're here visiting or again here for the first time in a long time, uh, I would invite you now to be brave and, and stand and just say your name and where you're from. Uh, wonderful. Wow. Many people. So we're going to have ushers coming around from the back with a microphone. Thank you. Okay. This is Greg and Tiffany Gimmel and we're here. For first time, for a long time. We're Martin and Kathy Kahn. We're here from the UK for the weekend. Great. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Hi, I'm Eunice. I'm from Malaysia. I'm here for vacation. I'm her brother, Eugene. I live here. And she brought me to church today. <laughs> Great. Good to have you both here. Welcome. Hi, my name is Adina, and this is Jornel, and we come from the Netherlands. We recently moved to Zurich, so now we're a bit looking for a church here. Welcome. It's great to have you both. Hello, uh, my name is Walter. I have been here before, but um, today I'm bringing two visitors of mine, my mother, Anne, and my mother-in-law, Miriam. Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Good morning. Uh, my name is Paul Liu. I'm originally from South Korea, uh, but this past as a tent maker missionary to Japan uh, for 25 years. Okay. And then the, I'm also attending international church in Tokyo and then the, do the Bible study and then evangelize Japan people. Uh, but now I came, uh, visited uh, Judy for the first time in my life, uh, four days ago. And then, the, but I found it's very good atmosphere. And <laughs> I pray to God to live here permanently. <laughs> anyway, I, I, uh, I want to start uh, my uh, uh, work, uh, business in, in, in Swiss. So thank you. Great. It's, it's welcome. Welcome. To, it's great to have you. Uh, thank you all so much. If there's anyone else I'm missing. Great. I know sometimes answering the question in an international community where you're from is difficult, but, but thank you all. Um, I would also like to just to extend an invitation to all of you. Um, as some of you know, for the summer months, we've decided in the evening worship, the last Sunday of each month, um, to have fellowship events. One of the reasons we wanted to do this is because in international communities where you know, many of us have lived here for a short time or maybe not as long as our home country, it's sometimes hard to find community. And so um, if you would like to come and join us uh, tonight at 6 o'clock uh, near the China Garden down by Lake Zurich, we're just having a fellowship night. Bring a picnic, come and join us. You're more than welcome. 
uh, they have flyers in the back that will show the exact location on a little map so you can find us. Um, we did it last month and it was a lot of fun. We just sort of spent Sunday evening together and had a meal so that we can talk and get to know each other a little bit more than just over a cup of coffee. So you are all um, invited as well to that. So please, if you're interested, there are flyers by the back. Uh, and now as we continue, uh, I'd like to invite our elder uh, Matt Kagey up with joys and concerns of the community. I've learned that nowadays you have to communicate with emojis. So my first announcement is an emoji. In case you haven't learned about emojis, this means please turn your cell phone off. Next Sunday is a special Sunday. It's our church retreat, our annual all-church retreat, and it's going to be in Menedorf. And there's still only a couple rooms left if you want to sign up. You can sign up at uh, coffee hour after church. Also, there's no, not going to be a service here at the French church, but it's going to be there in Menedorf. If you would like to join for that uh, worship service at 10 o'clock, in Menedorf, and you would like to stay for lunch afterward, you should also sign up for lunch at the, uh, at the welcome table in coffee hour this morning. And there's another special Sunday in two weeks. Uh, you have probably received the invitation to the, well, it's an extra uh, congregational meeting. We're going to discuss music uh, and you are invited to send in your experience, your opinions about worship and music here at IPC prior to that meeting. So after the worship service here in two weeks on September 10th, there will be this meeting and uh, please do send in your, uh, your opinions, your feedback to that after the church service here, there's an opportunity to have someone pray for you if you have something that you rejoice over or that you would like to commit in prayer to God and you'd like to share it with somebody. There will be somebody up here, uh, so be welcome to do so. Now I would like to ask Mao Chen to come forward for an announcement. Uh, good morning. My name is Mao Chen. I'm in charge of personnel and property. And uh, I would like to inform you that there will be a uh, maternity leave in IPC's office starting um, sometime late September till early January. And uh, since June, we have been working on it, trying to figure out how the coverage could be during this time of uh, maternity leave. And uh, we have found coverage for just about everything except for about uh, uh, 20%. So um, what we need now is uh, coverage for church office on Wednesday afternoon to uh, basically to answer phones and maybe some very light duty. If, you're, if you are willing uh, and have the capacity to help out uh, on Wednesday, in particularly Wednesday afternoon, Please either, either contact me or the church office for more detail. Thank you. 
and also the chairperson of the Council of Elders, Sheila Olson, has an announcement. Good morning. Uh, as you know, our uh, senior pastor, uh, Doug Brewer, has announced his retirement effective January 31st, 2018, so in about six months. Um, we're very sorry to see him go, um, but uh, God's plan for the church is obviously that we need to find a new pastor. Uh, the constitution of the IPC is very clear on this. Uh, so the nominations committee is now working on putting together a uh, pastoral search committee. Uh, we would, uh, as part of that process, if members of the congregation can uh, forward their nominations, uh, the one requirement is that you can nominate someone only if they agree to serve. So there are forms that you can get from the ushers or from the office that if you want to nominate, and then on that same form, they'll sign and say that they agree to that, uh, that nomination. Uh, your deadline is September 10th uh, for submitting these, um, these forms. Then uh, in two weeks later, on September 24th, we'll, we'll have a special congregational meeting to approve the pastoral search committee. Uh, obviously, this is a very important process for our church, and we appreciate your help in, um, in this process. Uh, and I'll just uh, reiterate, as Matt said, that the town hall is a very busy September. We've got the retreat coming. We've got a town hall on music. And the town hall is, uh, we want to share our opinions and impressions of, uh, of music together. Um, I think we all benefit from the music, but we all maybe have opinions, and sometimes emotional opinions. So, but we're going to share in a very constructive and uh, positive way our impressions of the music. Then we've got the September 10th deadline for the nominations and the September 24th uh, special congregational meeting. So mark your calendars, and uh, we, we very much appreciate your input and uh, participation both in the music town hall and in the pastoral search committee. Thank you. Before we go to, into worship, uh, a special prayer concern because we won't have prayers for the people today because of communion. Your Kessler, whom you probably all know, is right now in the hospital. He had open heart surgery this morning and we would just commit him into your prayers that everything went well. So now let's dedicate our hearts and minds to God to worship him.
Please join along with me in this morning's call to worship, taken from Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The Lord is good to all. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. The Lord upholds all who are fallen. Please join with us now in standing, if you're able, to sing hymn number 363, I Want Jesus to Walk With Me. Please remain standing with us as we pray together our prayer of confession, followed by the declaration of God's pardon. Please join me in reading along and pray with me. Almighty and merciful God, we have erred and strayed from our ways. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our hearts. 
We are prejudiced and judgmental. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare those who confess their faults. Restore those who are repentant, according to your promises declared to the world in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O merciful God, for his sake, that we may live a holy, just, and humble life for the glory of your name. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we are sincere in asking for forgiveness, God is faithful to give it. When we truly ask him to protect us from temptation and deliver us from evil, he keeps us safe. God arranged for our salvation even before we knew how desperately we needed it. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Our scripture reading is, will be found on the New Testament, page 155 in your pew Bibles. And it is the first five verses of chapter 5 of Paul's letter to the Roman church. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we, boast, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord.
Amen. Alvin and I are delighted to be here. It seems hard to believe four years have passed. Uh, we're pleasantly serving at the American Church in Paris as visiting pastor and spouse, and we've also been acting head of staff while Scott Herr, former pastor here, who's the head of staff there, has been on a three-month sabbatical. So he's back now, and the Herr family send their greetings, and it's great to see all of you today. Our gospel reading is taken from the gospel according to Matthew, the 11th chapter, reading the 25th verse and following. At that time, Jesus said, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except by the Father, and no one knows the Father except by the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am a gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we need to do to be your faithful disciples. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Do you ever catch yourself putting on to others things you don't like about yourself or what maybe you have trouble living with in your own life? You're going to see imperfection everywhere, especially in the lives of other people if you are a perfectionist. You're going to be an expert in other people's mistakes. The New Testament says that the word for that is projection. Psychologists say projection is putting on to other people what you don't like in yourself. And the New Testament calls that hypocrisy. That's the other word for it. So projection is the temptation of the righteous. Those who hold a high standard of themselves hold to that standard of perfection. And that's why Jesus said of those artists, of the perfectionists, the Pharisees, why do you point to the speck in somebody else's eye and you can't see the big log in your own eye? That's what all perfectionists do. The New Testament says that the culprit of all of this is what they call the law. It was a guide to perfection in Jesus' time. It outlined, it clearly defined, it was a set of rules that you could follow in order to be made perfect before God. Since God was holy and righteous and perfect, the reasoning was it only made sense that you had to make yourself holy and perfect and righteous before you could stand before God. And so everything was outlined. All you had to do was follow the law. That made sense, didn't it? It was a good idea. If you want to be acceptable before God, then follow the law. Well, in the Old Testament, the law was referred to as a yoke, a wooden brace that's placed on the shoulders of a work animal, of, of oxen, so that the farmer could lead them to where he wants them to go. And that was a perfect metaphor for the law. 
The purpose of the law is to lead us to God. The law is a discipline that leads you down the right path, leads you to God, down the straight and narrow. It's a discipline. All we need to do is know that if we want to reach a goal in life, you've got to have that, you've got to have discipline. You can't achieve anything in life that's worthwhile without discipline. So if you want to reach God, the Old Testament says, then take on the discipline, take on the yoke of the law. Now that was a good idea. It it made sense. It just didn't work. And that was the message of the New Testament. They played around with that metaphor, the yoke. There was not only the yoke that led animals along the straight and narrow path, there was also the yoke of conquering generals that they put on the prisoners to hold them in bondage. And the New Testament says that the law was that kind of yoke. It isn't the yoke of discipline that will lead you to God, but rather it's the yoke of bondage that holds you captive. The law, they said, had become a prisoner's yoke. Paul even goes so far as to say the law is a curse. The problem was, he says, the law can't do what it is supposed to do. It does just the opposite. The law can't do what it's supposed to do. Instead of freeing us, actually it binds us. Instead of leading us to life in love, it leads us to hate ourselves and to hate other people. Instead of freeing our conscience, it leads us to feel guilty all the time. The law was a curse, Paul said. Now, Paul was no libertine. He was no profligate. Paul was a Pharisee. He said, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That meant Paul was a moral man. The law made him moral. It did that. In fact, the law made him super moral. But that was not the purpose of the law. Not to make you moral. That's not really the purpose. That's not what it promised. What it promised was that it would lead you to God to make you feel good about yourself in this life to make you feel that you're acceptable to God, to give you peace of mind. That's what it promised. And that's why Paul was following it. But it did just the opposite. It didn't give him peace of mind, it gave him anxiety. Because he was always worrying where he stood. How am I doing? If my status before God is dependent on my merits, what if I fail? So under the law, failure meant condemnation. And if you feel you're condemned, then you're going to hate yourself or you're going to turn that hatred you know, towards other people. And that's what projection does. It turns it on other people. Now, Paul had this giant sense of projection. He found a man named Stephen who didn't agree with Paul about what was important, and so he condemned him. He not only condemned him, he stoned him. At least he took part in that stony. He was party to the killing of a man because that man didn't believe what Paul believed. And I think that's when it hit Paul that the law isn't doing what it promised to do. See, it was a little bit later when it finally hit him. He was walking down the road to Damascus. But I think Paul was like one of those old cartoons where, you know, you see um, a man kind of gets hit And he walks away as if nothing happened for about 20 steps. And then wham, it hits him, he falls down on his face. Well, I think it was like that for Paul. The stoning of Stephen was when he got hit. 
And that enabled him to see that the law doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It does the opposite. If the purpose of the law is to enable us to be acceptable to God, then by loving God and loving our neighbor, then why is it that I feel so guilty before God? And why is it that I have these feelings of hatred towards other people? See, the law was no longer discipline. The law had become a yoke of slavery. It was a good idea, but it just didn't work. And that's true today. We don't live under the Jewish law. Even the Jews don't live under the old Jewish law that was interpreted for that first century. But we all live under a law. And a law is a metaphor for that in life that believes that you have to achieve something if you're wanting to be loved. Or for that life that believes that you have to measure up to some absolute standard before you're really somebody. Or that life that thinks that failure in your life is some kind of a condemnation on your life. That's the law. And it's always the same and it's always been like that. It starts out as a yoke of discipline and it ends up as a yoke of slavery. Alberto Salazar was one of the greatest long-distance runners in the 1980s. At the age of 24, he had the American record. He was the holder of the record for the 5,000 and 10,000 meters. The same year, incidentally, he won the world record for the marathon. Now, that was an amazing accomplishment for this young man of 24 years of age. Now, long-distance runners usually take a long time to, to build up to reach those kind of numbers. But he was at the top of the world at the age of 24. He'd just gotten married. He was soon to have a child. And the world came crashing down upon him. He said, I, I don't know what the matter was with me. I'd go for a run, and I'd feel exhausted. I couldn't sleep at night. I was always on the verge of tears. I'd go out driving and some guy would cut in front of me and I'd honk my horn at him, I'd yell and I'd curse. I'd be home trying to fix something and a piece wouldn't fit and I'd throw the piece across the room. He said, I was about to go crazy. The diagnosis? He's living under the law. The same drive that made him a success was now driving him crazy. He didn't run races to win, he ran races not to lose. He couldn't bear to lose. If he were to lose, he would be a failure. And when he won, there was no joy in winning. It was the law. He had to win. It just accepted it. You just had to win. And then the day after the race, then the panic would set in because he'd start thinking about the next race. Maybe the next race I'm going to lose. And so he trained even more diligently. He ran more races than he really should have. He wore himself out. And you see, the tensions mounted. His anger grew inside him. He became surly. And then the inevitable happened. He lost. He lost a race. And then it happened again and again. And each time he lost, he lost worse. And finally, in 1983, in the 10,000-meter world championship race in Helsinki, Finland, he finished dead last. Well, shortly after that, Salazar and his new wife, Molly, new baby Antonia, went away for a few weeks of rest and reflection in the Oregon woods. And that is uh, the time that he spent 
with his family. And he came back saying after that period that I saw now that I was under what he termed an obsession of not losing. Well, that's the law. That's the exact way that Paul describes the law. He says it's supposed to be a discipline enabling you to reach your goal and it ends up condemning you as a failure. That's the law. And the law, if it says that you're not somebody until you measure up, and then it tells you, oh, by the way, you're never going to measure up. I tell you, if, you, if it does that, it's, it's a yoke, not of discipline, but it's a yoke of punishment. It convinces you that you're a failure. And I think we all know about that. I think we all know what it means to live under a law. What Paul talked about, you see, was not his particular problem. It's not a Jewish problem. It's a human problem. We all have to live with it. We all know what it means. And if we know what it means, then we're ready to hear the text from the 11th chapter of Matthew. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the word. Come unto me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, Jesus is putting it to us. He's asking, are you going to live by the law or by grace? The law says you have to be perfect before you're loved. Grace said, God loves you even though you are imperfect. Are you going to labor under the law? Or are you going to take my yoke upon you and learn from me? One of my psychology professors at Fuller Seminary, Newton Maloney, had a profound insight. He said, persons do not discover who they are by reason. They are told who they are and accept that by faith. Now that's amazing. It seems too simple, but I think it's true. We are who we are as an act of faith. If we think we're worth something, then we will prove it. And if we don't think we're worth much, we'll prove that too, no matter how many talents that we have. And that's why the law doesn't work. If we try to be somebody by living up to that standard, then we live with anxiety because the jury is always out. The jury's always out and we're always waiting to hear what the verdict will be. But if we are told you are somebody and you trust that, even in spite of doubts, we are free. I saw a study about motivation. The conclusion of the test is that motivation is a matter of self-perception. You are what you think you are to be. Now, if you think you are capable, you will be capable, no matter how you measure up against some absolute standard or even the comparison with other people. And this is how they proved it. They put a, an experiment together. They took 10 adults and they were given puzzles to solve. And all the puzzles were alike. Everybody got the same puzzles. And they worked on these and they turned them in and then they got the results. Now the results were all fictitious. The examiner just made them up. The examiner didn't even look at the puzzles. He just made up the results. He simply told one half of the people that they had done well and told the other half of the people that they had done poorly. And then they were given ten more puzzles. Each time the same puzzles. 
And this time the results were judged. And the half that told, were told that they had done well in the first round really did better in the second. And those who had been told that they had done poorly the first time failed the second. I tell you, we don't discover who we are by reason. We're told who we are and we accept it by faith. In a book called Why Leaders Can't Lead, they reported on a study of school teachers. And it turned out when school teachers held high expectations of their students, that alone was enough to cause an increase of up to 25 points in the scores of IQ tests. So we are told who we are and we accept that by faith. Now I heard about a man who applied from a, for a job, he went to the interview, the boss read his letter of reference and he says, this is an outstanding letter of recommendation. And the man said, I know, I wrote it myself. <laughs> well, you can't do that, I mean it's not acceptable, but I like that anyway. Those who try to prove their worth live under the law. Those who accept their worth on faith are free. See, Jesus came to tell us who we are. He said, you're not a defendant that has to make up a case against some judge to prove your worth. You are a child loved by the Father. You don't have to prove anything. All you have to do is trust that he loves you. I think the most common question asked of pastors is, how can I experience that? How can it come to me? How can I know that I'm loved just the way I am? And it comes to us in different ways because we're, we're all different. But there are some guideposts, some experiences that have happened to enough people over the last 2,000 years to serve as good lessons for us. The first is confession. Admitting who we are. Admitting our humanity. And it usually comes after an experience similar to finishing last in Helsinki or doing something or saying something that reveals that side of us that we really don't like about ourselves or falling on our faces and discovering that, that, that we're human beings after all. If you're not perfect, you've got faults. Pogo, the cartoon strip, used to say, we have faults we have never used yet. And that's true for all of us. So confession is not self-flagellation, not beating yourself up. Confession is self-revelation. It's simply honesty about who you are. Did it ever occur to you that maybe your confession to somebody about something was already known to them? And they said, I knew that, and they liked you still. Confession is looking in a mirror and being honest about who you really are. And the second experience is repentance. And that too is misinterpreted. Most people interpret repentance as another kind of punishment for not living up to the law. They think repentance means penance, uh, but it doesn't. The word repentance in the New Testament is metanoia. And metanoia is not a feeling of remorse for failure. In fact, metanoia is not a feeling at all. Metanoia, if you translate it literally, means a change of mind. Metanoia, or repentance, means rearranging your mind, changing your values in life, rethinking what it's all about, who you really are. Now, Alberto Salazar went through something like that repentance when he retreated to the woods of Oregon with his family. And when he came out of that experience, 
He said this, winning isn't important. Molly, my wife, is. Gold medals aren't important. Antonio, my son, is. Now that's repentance. It's changing your mind. It's changing the values in your life. It's rethinking about what it really is important to you, and that leads you to making changes in how you choose to live your life. So those who go through confession and repentance are, are no longer certain who they are. They're kind of like Paul who kind of ran into the wall, dazed. He doesn't know who he is, and he's walking down the road to Damascus. They've run into that wall, but they're still on their feet, they're still moving. It hasn't really hit them yet. But now they're ready for the first time to hear the word. And maybe for the first time in their life, they can hear the word. And here's the word. God loves you as you are. Failures and all. Now, they've always believed that. I mean, they've heard that a lot in their lives. But now they're really ready to listen to it. They've known that as the truth, but now they know it as the gospel truth. It's a question, you know, this passage out of Matthew. And Jesus puts it to us. He says, you have a choice. Are you going to live under the law? Or are you going to live by grace? Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please uh, stand and sing with me. Hymn number 335, Though I May Speak.
We will collect our offerings and tithes in a minute, so let us pray for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be part of your worldwide church, the body of Christ. We thank you especially that we can be here in IPC and that you have watched over IPC for 56 years now. We know that without your commitment to our church, it would not exist. And we know that without our commitment to IPC, we would not be the community we are. So as we give now, we pray that the gifts we give will serve to grow your church, both here and to wherever we uh, give our money where churches grow. In Jesus' name, amen.
Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Give them it is our duty and delight that we should everywhere and always offer thanks and praise to you, O God. Now please join us in praying the prayer the Lord taught us to pray, either in English or the language of your choice, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please join us in sharing the peace of Christ with those who are around you. The peace of Christ be with you. Oh my, good, yeah, great. Peace of Christ, we are here. Okay, peace of Christ, thank you. Matt, peace of Christ, we are here. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, he met with his disciples, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, Christ took the cup and he poured it. And he said, This is my blood shed for you. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you remember my sacrifice for you in this new covenant Christ has given us. And so as we come to this table this morning to worship our Lord together, I pray that you would remember the words Jeff, so, Jeff spoke saying, trust that he loves you. Trust that the Lord God of the universe loves you and desires you would confess and repent and follow him. So please come down the side aisles across the middle as we usually do and if you do not want to receive the bread and cup this morning, come forward 
like this that we might uh, bestow a blessing upon. This time, we would like our elders to come forward. Please help us. have all been served who wish to be served. Please join with me in our prayer of thanksgiving. Loving God, thank you that in the midst of all the ambiguities and perplexities of this life, you bid us to come and dine with you, to feast at the table of your grace, finding you rest for our weary souls. As we have taken this bread and cup, so may we take your yoke and learn from you the way of life that is easy and light. Renewed in your Holy Spirit, send us out with the good news of your love and grace to change the world. Then with all the saints, may our lives show forth your praise in Christ, with Christ, 
and for Christ we pray. Amen. Please stand and join in singing together, We Are Marching in the Light of God. into God's big world with the confidence that you are loved unconditionally. Take on the yoke of Christ in joy and in service. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.